Uh, hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Under Three and a Pint, where a couple of average blokes are having above-average football conversations. Uh, joining me on the podcast today is Vaishnav, Akshat, and Paul. And today we're going to do a recap of the incredibly crazy Premier League season that we've had, and uh, it's come to an end. And as football fans, we're obviously sad, but we are also going to talk about our personal uh, favorite moments throughout the course of the season, our uh, goals of the season, our manager of the season. So there's a lot happening in this episode. Tune in and enjoy it. And let's get straight into it, guys. Uh, today we're going to um, review the, the season of the Premier League that has just gone by. It's been a crazy, crazy ride. We've seen teams go up, we've seen teams go down, and finally we've ended up with a table that honestly I didn't expect. But before we get into the episode. Uh, Uh, we've been we've started getting fan mail, so shout out to Yeshwan for sending his uh, his uh, uh, thoughts on on the episode. <laughs> we've all had different reactions. Uh, Akshat Akshat has gone to Google and uh, started googling on how to handle fame. I was more nonchalant <laughs> about it, but uh, keep keep the love coming, guys. It's awesome to hear from you. And uh, yeah, so let's get straight into it. Uh, Akshat, did you expect that uh, Liverpool turn around? I mean, they ended up third on the table, and when we were doing a rebuild, the amount of battle that we were giving them was just—I mean, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. No, I, I think I even mentioned on that podcast that I'm going to make as much use uh, of that situation as I could because I think we all knew that Liverpool wouldn't be in that situation for very long. Um, did I expect them to finish third? No, I probably expected them to scrape in fourth. I. Thought that you know the top three um, would have maybe some distance from fourth place because I didn't expect. I've been saying this from the start of the season. I'm I'm so disappointed that Leicester have proven me wrong yet again. I trusted them that you know this is going to be the year where they don't fall apart at the uh, very last stage. But they they did it again this year, which is disappointing. But um, I I I honestly am not too surprised uh, by Liverpool finishing in the top four because I, I like again I think in that episode all of us said that. This team was underperforming even after the injuries. Like considering uh, the Joe Gomez injury, considering the Van Dijk injury, they were still underperforming. They they weren't bad enough to finish, say, sixth, seventh, eighth, wherever they were at that point of the season. Um, but all, all credit to them for turning it around because it's it's obviously a mental battle at that stage. It, it hurts your pride as champions to be you know losing so 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 easily i think at home like you know they they lost many games without much of a fight so uh, yeah all credit to them to turn that around uh what i i didn't expect at all um was like i said lester crumbling away i mean i know they've done it time and again but i i just thought this year would be different i thought they'd learn from last year's experiences but yeah i mean it, it's it's I, i'm glad they won the trophy you know i'm i'm glad brendan rodgers has has got that monkey of his back uh, where you know he's not successful in england and i think again like uh, winning a trophy with that squad um, you see that uh, in a lot of positions they're still quite young uh, people like ehanacho is is stepping up fofana tilmans even madison for that matter they're all young they're all youngsters and they're all going to grow together as a team and um yeah i'm i'm happy for them i'm happy that at least they got the fa cup you know um but for me them getting champions league would have been a huge 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 achievement and i i think all of us deep down just want to stick it to the super league clubs i think all of us would love it if one of them didn't qualify for the champions league um, exactly yeah, yeah but that unfortunately didn't happen 
Also, considering that, I mean, last season, uh, we saw Leicester crumble away because of a lot of injuries. I think Madison was injured. They'd lost Pereira. They'd lost Castagna. So, had got one absolutely stupid red card. Red card, So, yeah. they, had, they had problems with the squad. But this season, it wasn't like that. I mean, they were more or less full power um, as to the type, kind of team they were uh, um, representing on the pitch, the players that were playing. But they also did make some stupid mistakes, right? I think uh, three or four of them uh, breached COVID rules and went for a party, for, for a house party or something like that. And then yeah. that same week, they had West Ham where, you know, they were played out of the park. I think it was like a 3-1 or something performance, which was a crucial game that Leicester needed to win. Uh, so, I think silly mistakes like that have again let them down. And uh, I, I mean, I really, really wanted them to come through this time, especially after the Super League. Um, it would have been great Liverpool didn't manage to qualify, but they did, and so did Chelsea. So I guess uh, um, not much, not much to rejoice about the fact that we finished second, which is also awesome. Um, I want to bring uh, Po in over here. Po, how do you recap the season? Um, this one time you didn't finish above Spurs. So one time, it's been like five years in a row, Amar. Right now, it's been five years since we've had Saint Tottenham's Day in London. But this season has been really weird, man. Like. We've seen games being played like every two days, every three days once, and then we like it's really hard to keep track, especially for us who play FPL. Also, <laughs> you can ne- you can never figure out when to change your score. Also, I mean, but and if you look at the table, no, like the position from first to tenth, it's been tightly packed. Like, okay, the distance between first and second is miles ahead. Like, and then like second and third is like there's a huge gap there. But then after that, from fourth to tenth, there's only like seven or eight points difference. Usually in any other season, that gets you like a sixth or a seventh. But like, just looking at how tightly packed that position is, anyone could have managed to get top four or top six. It was it went down to the wire and I was so hoping that Spurs get knocked out of the Conference League as well and we somehow managed to finish above them. And like, moreover, on the fact that Arsenal have had such a shitty season, it's been like our worst, like worst uh, season for a while. And I think this is the worst Premier League season ever, I think, in terms of the points, Sally, also. But we've only finished five points off top four with this kind of weird season. And especially when we've had VAR having such dubious calls for all teams. I bet so many teams have lost, like, multiple points, like, match-winning points because of VAR and our stupid interpretations of runes. And even with considering all that, we've, like, the top table is so tightly packed. So it's really been a topsy-turvy season, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, we did start off the season uh, by having everything on top for a while and West Ham in and around the, the Champions League places. Liverpool were, I think, ninth at one point. Spurs um, were at the top of the table for a while. Leicester, I think, were uh, in the Champions League spot for like 240 days, if I'm not wrong, the highest, apart from City. I think even they're ahead of City. In this season, because City, yeah, they are, yeah, yeah, they're ahead of City this week. No, and and that I think that was because City were like one game behind most teams yeah. as well. All right? the time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then City did pick it up slow, right? This season, I mean, with all the injuries that they had initially, as well as them not being able to score goals, that was that problem this year at the start. Although John Stones and like Ruben Diaz stepped up, but they still like were struggling to score goals initially, and but and they had. They had a season without Aguero, their top scorer. So, it was kind of weird though. I mean, great season for them. Ruben Diaz was a fucking amazing signing in hindsight. Uh, we all thought it would be Gareth Bale, but… Uh, Not me. <laughs> uh, 
Vaishnav, what did you think of uh, the the season overall, and who surprised you, and anything you want to point out? At the top end of the table, Manchester United definitely surprised me. Our club, uh, I predicted them finishing like sixth, seventh. <laughs> I didn't see them finishing second. Oh, please don't bring up the predictions, Vaishnav. Like we've all had Arsenal at the top four initially. Hey, 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 hey! Don't say we all. I I got my predictions for top four right though. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Vaishnav and I did it. I I'll bring it up later because mine are definitely the most off predictions. I, if you couldn't write a worse set of predictions, so I love it. We're here for the content, right? So I just get to make fun of myself. But uh, in terms, I got all four. <laughs> you really going back and listening? Lovely. And for listeners who don't know, this is probably what our, that was probably our fifth or sixth episode. No, that was I think probably our fourth. I think. Yeah, it was very very early on into our podcasting career. So. Um, I, I I was and still am a dumb fuck, but uh, United have definitely uh, superseded my expectations in the sense that. Uh, so I never thought United were a very good footballing unit. I still don't think that they're a very good footballing unit. But several several football players, several members of the coaching staff. I'm gonna go on about United for a minute, guys, because I mean, uh, at the end of the day, that's what three fourth of this pod cares about. Yeah, <laughs> might as well indulge ourselves. But oh, no, going back to what I was saying is, I don't think they're the greatest footballing unit or side or, you know, I don't think as a team that they're the best, second best team in the league. I don't think they are. I I think that Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs to an extent, Leicester have better teams than United have, and at times play better football. Spurs maybe not because of the whole Mourinho debacle, but otherwise they have an incredible squad. But something that I saw my team Manchester United do this season that has honestly made me happier than anything is uh, they they've just shown me resolve, man. They've sh- the fact that we've gone away from home unbeaten the entire season, only one of four teams to do that. Or I don't know if Arsenal did it twice, but basically it's only been done four times, and that the one time was this season. And I understand that I haven't been fans, so that's sort of a different dynamic. But no one else did that, so I mean. You still have to give credit where credit is due. You can't just write it off for the fact that there's no fans. Because I'm, I'm sure that that's weird in very different ways, and it sort of balances itself out. More than that, this for me was a season to show me that um, multiple football players who I thought were absolutely done <laughs> essentially told, told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> Lukaku and Luke Shaw, man, I thought neither of these players were fit to lace my boots. I would be lucky to give these guys water, man. I would be lucky to give these guys water. Yeah, you you understand what level that they play at, and I love it when players prove us wrong. Because, dude, as fans, we are entitled to shit on players. Man, I mean, at the end of the day, we are entitled. I think we take it overboard a lot of times. But I want to be the type of fan that shits on a player but also gives him his props. Luke Shaw, Romelu Lukaku, Jesse Lingard. There are some players this season that have really shown us what. You know why they're paid the big bucks. This is why they're a professionally trained football player because you can do these things, and not many other professionals can't do it. Um, just in general, more, you're seeing that since there's been such congestion of fixtures like Poor touched upon, it is genuinely starting to become superhuman to play the entire season of professional football as we know it. If you're in Europe, even if you're not in Europe, because it's just hard to do, and seeing these players. Not many people have sympathy for them because the multi-millionaire footballers. But you think of the backroom staff, you think of the entire bubble. Most of them aren't getting paid that much money. I mean, the top end, yes, but 
not the kitman's assistant, not the ground staff, not a lot of people. But they've all been subject to the same protocols as the first team that are multi-millionaires. And they have essentially given up one year worth of life in the most weird of times with their family by being isolated in a bubble and by being with this team and by, you know, helping teams out. And I'm talking about across the board, across professional sports. I think that is awesome. I just want to give a shout out. And also the, like the sportsmen as well, like the footballers. That, that must just be so weird because, I mean, the amount of restrictions that you have on, in an already stressful environment, I mean, it's time for us fans to, you know, sort of appreciate them more. And I'm sure they'll appreciate fans more as well. So I think this is sort of has a net positive benefit. And I just want to shout it out on the podcast. It's been a nice season, man. It's been lovely. Good vibes. All good vibes everywhere. Nice. What about like you guys going unbeaten away for the entire season? Fuck me. It's lovely. It's lovely. I genuinely did not think we'd lose away from home this season. It did not look like we could. I think that's gone under the rug because like, I don't see many people mentioning that, but that is a commendable feat, man. It's Rocky Balboa. It's Tyson Fury. You knock me fucking down and I will get back up, man. The only problem is that our home record has been somewhat poor and we've lost games that we shouldn't have lost, I think, especially with... Shite. Yeah, so it's sort of like, I mean, it nullifies when... Because City ran away with the title so easily, uh, just, you know, put it into... I mean, they did, but then didn't we... We took them mathematically until May to win it. So, like, I mean, they won it. For me, they won it since January. Right, right, right. No, no, no. I agree with you. The second we lost to Sheffield United, they won the title that day. That's in my opinion. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a game we shouldn't have lost. Genuinely. Genuinely. I think uh, some stupid things that we did in that game. But wait, let me finish my point, Amaya, and then you can go ahead. What I'm trying to say is that in what was perceived to be our best season post-Ferguson, other than this season, that is finishing second under Mourinho, Yo, that title was long gone. The only reason the second half of the season felt nice was the 3-2 victory over City at Tetihad, which was, let's, that was awesome. That 3-2 comeback victory was just Manchester United in a nutshell. But I think given the lack of quality in certain areas and the obvious problems, like the three of us can nitpick so many problems with this United squad. With all this not going for us, still finishing second and we want more than 15 points off the top, right? I'm not saying that that's an achievement, but for me, I mean, that's super improvement, man, from coming third and barely coming third last season. And to be honest, I feel like we kind of slowed down our pace in the last five, six games of the season when we were a little bit comfortable that we knew we were going to finish in the top four. I feel like um, we kind of dropped our standards a little bit. I, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but the way we were playing, we weren't playing the same intensity. And I think it was also fatigue that just built up for some players. Fatigue, yeah. Probably, probably. Yeah, but 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 I mean, it's just again credit to the team, credit to the manager, uh, the coaching staff to uh, turn it around so much. I still, again, like I said, I think in a previous episode that I still don't think Ole gets the credit he deserves. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he, he's. I mean, honestly, if any other manager was doing what he was doing, um, they'd be getting so many plaudits, right? Like if a Frank Lampard did something like this in Chelsea, people would be going gaga over him. But somehow mm-hmm. Ole, just because he's not the tactical genius mold of manager, right? For some reason, he doesn't get credit for the achievements. And I mean, different people are good at different things, right? I mean, you don't have to be. I don't think he wants it as well. I mean... No, I don't think any manager wants it, Amar. Mourinho does. <laughs> Very uh, unexplicitly. Yeah, yeah. No, but but that's, that's just the point I want to make. I think I agree with Vaishnav that United have 
had a really good season uh, and a lot of the achievements as post said have been kind of swept under the rug as okay yeah but you didn't compete for the title like okay yeah who who ever thought you were going to compete for the title i think mm. i mean the fact that you're having to say that you didn't compete for the title for me that's a compliment you know like yeah, yeah do we didn't compete <laughs> we <laughs> play mcfred in midfield bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah but also guys don't you feel that even after all of this i mean even if we win the europa league tomorrow um don't you think ole is just a ole is just a few bad results away like all together to to have his job in jeopardy again i mean that that's what we get every season you we would have probably said this 15 times over the past 3 years that's like what like years. what i've seen of ole is like he does get these bad results but then he always manages to pull it back with one kilo victory yeah but i mean there, there is going to be a time when he's not going to be able to turn it around as quickly as he did previously so, yeah. so here's the thing i i think that um a united manager comes under scrutiny after a few bad results from the media and definitely from the fans like the fan game, fan base just goes wild right but to be honest if you just look at the history of how we've sacked our managers post ferguson it's always been about top 4 always moyes was sacked the moment it was it was not possible for him to finish top 4 van gaal same thing he won the trophy but because he didn't finish top 4 he was sacked and the same thing with mourinho in december when we were i think like more than 10 points adrift of top 4 that's when they decide to remove him so the board will only sack a manager if they are not capable of finishing the top 4 and i don't think ole was ever at that stage where his job was actually in jeopardy from within united no 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 this season definitely no this season no no amar this season i don't think so i i don't think so i I think that as long as he he's in with a shout for top four, not him. I think any manager for that matter, any United manager for that matter, is going to be safe. I, I genuinely believe that. I, I mean, I, I can give Ahmad this that there have been times like Burnley, and I can't remember. There probably are one or two more games, especially between the time where we, he signed the permanent deal and Bruno came in. So like that one year or like eight months where there were genuinely turbulent performances. But yeah. I think Ole has done one thing, and I, I, this is something that I think is for me the most undervalued trait in a manager. Because for me, this was, uh, this is, Klopp's and Guardiola's best trait, as well as was Sir Alex and Arsenal's best traits, and that is to get the best out of what you have. That's yep. essentially what a manager has to do. And people keep giving Ole shit for he spent a lot of money. He's done this. He's done that. They aren't. I heard on the True Jordy uh, uh, channel yesterday on the kickoff that. uh i think it was brian who was saying uh he's the big dude he's true jordy uh he was saying that uh, just for the listeners who don't know he was saying oh, another manager probably does sorry our team probably does better with another manager cuz they're one of the best squads in the league no way uh he's i cannot see what he's seeing there i think pound for pound player for player we're probably the fifth or sixth if you're generous fourth or fifth best team in the league and i'm i'm saying just genuinely fact definitely fourth definitely fourth I just wanted to say that uh, we need to give Ole props for what he's done with his actual man management. Uh, Paul Pogba, Luke Shaw, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer written all over them. Jesse Lingard, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer written all over him. He's not playing for Ole, but the reason he's playing for David is because of Ole's forethought into a certain extent. Another thing that Ole has done, and I don't know how he's done this, he has suddenly made Manchester United more modern than they were before over the past three, four years in terms of just philosophy and principles of play. I have never seen a United team press, be as energetic, and pass out from the back as much as this team has. I'm not saying they're good at it, 
I'm just saying I haven't seen a United team do it as much. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is something that we've been uh, raving about since the past couple of months about Ole and hopefully United continue in the upward trajectory. But um, we actually haven't spoken much about Spurs in this podcast ever since Mourinho was fired. Like, that was... That that was self-employed, man. I I mean that's a so that's such a strange decision. Um, seven days before a before a cup final, and you have a serial winner with you. And uh, I mean, what did they expect? Ryan Mason coming in, beating City, and then finishing top four with Spurs. I feel so sorry for him. And and then I mean, it's created such a large chain of reactions that I, I think Daniel Levy is is really really stuck right now because Harry Kane wants to leave. They nowhere they were nowhere close to top four. They didn't end up winning the game against City anyways. And uh, I think it's just super toxic. And all of the good work that Pochettino has done over the past five years, and Levy in fact has done himself to build Spurs up, has been like ruined in a month. But I feel really sorry for Ryan Mason, man. Like he's been thrust into that job like for an, for a final like four days before it or five days before it. It's been like it was his first game ever in charge. And now he has to field questions about like the hottest prospect in the transfer window, Harry Kane. He's like 28 or 29 years old. Imagine like the pressure on him. Of course, he's not going to be there. But still, like you can see it written all over his face. He doesn't know what to say. And he never expected those questions coming flying at him. And now he's just stuck answering about Harry Kane instead of the on-field performances of anybody else like or his team as a whole. So, I feel really sorry for the dude. And I think Daniel Levy kind of shot himself in the foot. I think, see, the the reason Poch was fired was because there were issues in the squad. Training and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's been years since Poch now and nothing's changed. The same core of players is still there. Levy has not been able to move on the uh, rotten core, so to speak. Um, And he has not been able to get fresh talent to actually, you know, take the place of... Is it? Is it really that? Is it really rotten core? And I mean, they, they signed five players, not to forget the core of Mourinho's team was made for this no, season. I, I get that. I get that. But um, the problems which were there in the dressing room are still there right now. And they're always the same suspects. And if people like Harry Kane, who's the captain of the team, and in his interview with Gary Neville and um, with some of the other interviews he's been coming up with, he said this. He said that there's not the right attitude in the training pitch. Hugo Lloris said it after the Europa League uh, exit that uh, you know there is some problem with the attitude within the club. And I think uh, the squad building has been an issue for sure. Um, but the decision to sack Mourinho, like you said, Amar, has set off a chain of events which I don't think even Daniel Levy anticipated. I don't think he anticipated Harry Kane to be that unhappy with what has happened. And I'm, and there's no doubt in my mind that Harry Kane's decision to leave has been triggered by the decision to sack Mourinho. Mm-hmm. Not because he felt too much of a loyalty to Mourinho, but it kind of revealed to him. It kind of revealed to him what kind of club this is, right? That you definitely, if it's a club which wants to win trophies right now, you have Jose Mourinho. You have the only guy who's beaten Pep Guardiola in a major finals, and it's a one-off game. Like anything can happen, especially with Mourinho in a one-off game. Exactly, exactly. And and it seems like now Spurs have, they, they keep switching, right? With Poch, they were trying to build something and they reached that peak and then they couldn't do it. And then they got Mourinho in and it was like, okay, let's win right now. And now Mourinho's gone and they're, they're back in the rebuilding phase suddenly 
I don't think they're going to get like a proven manager like an Allegri who's going to come in and win trophies the first year, right? So it, they keep on switching between these ideologies of what they want to do with the squad, and it's for me, it's the, it's just that the current squad is just not good enough. You um, character-wise, uh, mentality-wise, I don't think they're good enough to go to the next level. And Kane has realized that. He's realized that um, the backroom stuff in terms of Levy, the vision is also not good enough, and it's not beneficial for him to stay any longer. Yeah. So it's it's a very difficult situation for um, for Kane himself because he's a loyal guy. He he loves Tottenham, no doubt about it. All of us have called him an idiot for signing that six-year contract, and I think he is an idiot. But <laughs> it shows how much he loves the club. It shows how much he believes in the club, and and how much he how desperately he wants to be a legend, and how he's desperately also- he wants to. Totally, but it also sort of shows you how much Levy wants to sort of uh, protect his assets, right? Because you, yeah, true. Kane doesn't, yeah, Kane doesn't sign a six-year deal unless the club put that on the table. I don't think Kane puts that on the table. Uh, and that, and that's exact, and that's exactly what I was coming to, right? So, so Kane loves the club, and obviously Levy loves Kane because that's his golden boy, right? Like that's the face, the poster boy of the club, which is supposed to take them into like the new promised generation or the new promised land, right? You no, know, I kind of. I kind of get why he signed the six-year deal, because that was right off the like the back of that Champions League final, right? And like you'd expect that team to move on and do better things in the future. But did you guys hear what he said recently to Gary Neville about Mourinho? He yeah. said like like yeah. Mourinho expected men like real men to be on the pitch and leaders, and I that's where I think it went wrong. Like he's questioning his squad's characteristics to live up to Mourinho's expectations. I mean, it's it's also classic Mourinho imploding, you know, like uh, putting the players under the bus. And I guess not all the Tottenham, like the majority of the Tottenham players, didn't have that metal to sort of carry Mourinho's criticism with them, and then they just started dropping shoulders and giving up. Mm. And I mean, uh, honestly, if you look at that squad as a whole, right, and you're looking for consistency, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it apart from Kane and Son, man. Like true, like numbers, like what you're doing week in week out. Yeah, numbers. numbers and also performance wise so let's not judge it only on numbers because numbers can be a little bit askew because you're playing someone like a harry kane as your central striker up front everything goes through him but even performance wise i mean a lot of players had patches uh, and dombele had a golden patch regulon had a golden patch but mora also mora also had a golden patch yeah. i mean but none of them hit their peak at the same time and it was always you know that one guy who's having the purple patch is dragging the entire squad yeah but that's, is, i mean typically top sides that ends up happening right i mean as united fans we know that <laughs> but that's when you expect other people to step up don't you like right, when one right, person right. falls off that's when you expect somebody else to come up in the store true true over here we were seeing the the guys the guys who were not having a really good time on the pitch were terrible they were not even yeah They, they were they were not even sort of good sort of bad somewhere in between they were just awful and we saw that at the end with Dragulon I mean that was the that was a great way to score your first goal honestly what a beautiful goal great finish but oh that was a beautiful goal that was Krasmas bro for, uh, just to clarify guys uh, just to clarify sorry for our listeners that was an own goal so uh, don't get confused <laughs> we are not contradicting ourselves there. No, but but I think that that characterizes Spurs this season because they have had some shocking defensive, individual defensive errors. I think that's what cost them more points than anything else. 
um i think they they've taken the lead multiple times during the games this season and ended up dropping points because it's a draw or they end up losing right they concede goals but late for me that's also a philosophical thing right with mourinho cuz like you go 1-0 up and you try to play a deep lying you know low block yeah yeah no if you are playing like that you need reliable defenders exactly. and spurs have anything but that right now right right <laughs> but, but i just want to ask you guys i just want to put this question out um which team or which club do you think has had the most disappointing season um in terms of where they finished where they finished versus where they expected to finish some would say spurs some would obviously say arsenal i would say chelsea sheffield for me sheffield <laughs> sheffield amma that's just not i just oh, i just need to meme this here uh, I, i don't know what the man's first name is but the caretaker of full time manager right now of sheffield united is something hecken bottom and i saw this guy post saying the first time in uh, premier league history the last name of the manager uh, you know of a club is like exact it describes where he is on the table died <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but i mean what what happened to those guys man we were raving about them last season overlapping center backs and uh, jo- jonathan fleck and who who's john lundstrom and bro i'm going to take so much credit for this i'm going to be insufferable bro i predicted this he did call it i he called did call it. it he did call it i called it he genuinely okay. called it okay. yeah he did call yeah. it yeah okay nice why would you say everton though everton bec- see they're 10th they have a manager like carlo ancelotti they have a pretty good midfield they got in people like hamis very good midfield dcl scoring like insane i mean he was in an insane run of form in the start of the season do you guys think hamas stays now i think he stays why else will he go i think he's happy he's playing in the top league he's playing for a manager he likes good support i don't see why he'd leave true but yeah i'm so disp- how did they finish 10th mm. it kind of fizzled out like you dcl stopped scoring yeah i'm not even surprised it fizzled out pretty early as well no it fizzled out before christmas Uh, and like they had like quite a few injuries in the midfield right like yeah like richarlison actually had a good season in the middle he was he was doing really well but there were a lot of injury problems with everton yeah i i i just pulled up their stats okay so on away form everton finished fourth fuck me they have the fourth best away form or on the away table they finished fourth but that's a characteristic of this season actually cuz I think this is the first year in Premier League history that like teams have won more away than home like the average. Wins. No, but they both at 15th. They're 15th in the home table. They they've they've got 22 points in 19 games at home. That's very reminiscent of the United problem though, right? Isn't it being very good away and not being good at home? Because I sort of Yeah, but then you guys took you guys actually managed to see that through though. Like it's not like half fast attempts like Yeah. It's sort of a hundred percent of one thing and fifty percent of one thing versus eighty and thirty. You know, it's sort yeah. of just very good at something that you sort of make up for what you haven't done very good in other places. Can we also shout out Graham Potter though for those who've done oh. who've been incredibly unlucky? But like, what's the XG table looking like? Uh, Brighton are invincibles on the XG table. They essentially <laughs> develop the XG table, guys. <laughs> you don't, but is it XG if you're not scoring? Do you expect the goals? I'm sorry, that was a very bad joke. But I'm worried. Been... I hope I edit this out. I'm sorry, listeners. I sincerely hope I edit this one out. I I don't know, man. I love managers that do this though. That are with a team that don't have the you know the most technically gifted players, but still try to play such an expressive form of the sport. 
Leeds United, man, we've not we've not even spoken about them. But I think Leeds. I think this is probably the worst season for Leeds to come up into the Premier League. No fans and congestion of fixtures. But there's there's still the team with the most like highest metrics for like running hard presses like pressures and all those kind of stats. Yeah, yeah, easy, easy. Luke, Luke Ayling, I think is the is the he's covered the most distance in Europe from any other player by far. Like not even as a wing back. Have you guys seen that uh, video promo that he did Saturday Social? Luke Ayling, I, I forget which YouTuber. Someone interviewed him. And they were talking about the nutmeg he puts on Mane on the first day of the season. It's oh my god, the way he describes it. I love when footballers are so candid because he he literally tells that guy. So I'm square up on Mane, and I I see space to his right, I see space to his left. I'm thinking maybe he just dives in here and he puts his foot out, and I'm like surely not, and I just knock it, and it goes through, <laughs> and I run around and I collect the ball, and then I think it goes out for a throw in or something, and he says as I'm turning back around, I see one of my mates who's in the warm up, he's in the gallery running around, and he's obviously looking at me. I look at him and I go, yeah, did you see that? And I walk back. <laughs> like five minutes later, Mane is running up to him, and they squared off at the halfway line. This game ends four three, I think, and I don't know if Mane scores from this. I don't know if this results in a goal, but the way Ailing describes it is lovely. Mane is coming in, and he's he's in that sort of canter of a pace wherein he's just building up the attack, right? So he's in his own half, he's just bringing the ball and letting Ailing settle into his body shape. So Ailing is like, I'm looking around, and I can see there's nobody I can push him off to. It's me and Mane one on one, and I'm sort of thinking of the nutmeg. And I'm standing there, looking around, seeing the vast space around me, like holy shit! And as, like he's like, before I could process the fact that there's like acres of space around me, it's ping through my legs. He's run around. I've turned around like, oh fuck me, and run because like I can't do shit. I love this sort of these interviews are the best, man. <laughs> When you get those moments from these players. But Leeds have been insane, dude. So much fun to watch, man. Who would expect them to finish ninth, man? Yeah, I don't think many would have given them props. Uh, we, I mean, uh, with the way they started off against Liverpool and uh, I think City was also early on. You knew that you know this this is not a team that it doesn't definitely look like a team that just come up from the Championship. They're well drilled, well oiled. And when you have someone like Bielsa coaching them, I think it's a different proposition altogether. And uh, I mean, with that team, you saw. And it's not reliant on one player, right? It's such a system-heavy setup. Uh, you had someone. Uh, I think Luke Ayling would sometimes play as a centre-attacking midfielder, and Rafinha would play as a left back. And I think he played like five positions over the season, right? Only Calvin Calvin Phillips was the only one who was actually pretty much the the focal. You know, the 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 one guy who stays where he's supposed to play. Shan Mesley as the keeper, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but Amar, even within that sort of rot, that sort of rotation that Bielsa's teams are famous for, where everyone can play everywhere, he he still does this stuff where he starts people in different positions. Like Dallas, Dallas started in like eighteen positions before right? a match. He he, he's like, fuck it, I'll just give out like the starting eleven. But then you won't know where they start. Like the next yeah. day, like people are starting everywhere else than you would normally expect. I think from. he would do that in the championship, wherein he would genuinely in press conferences. He did that this season as well. And the the reason he does that is because um, I mean, obviously from an offensive point of view, we all know how they do it, right? But um, from a pressing point of view, it's a very one-on-one system, right? So where he sees the matchups on the pitch, that's how he sets his team up. So if there is 
some uh, exploitation he can exp- if there is some weakness to exploit in an opposition team in terms of a stronger man can be on this man during the press right he kind of rotates that around or if there's mm. someone who can be a little bit quicker has a pace advantage he it's very intuitive right right having people who are so comfortable with the system um that helps right obviously because that's when you're able to put them wherever the fuck you want on the pitch and get the same level of performance and it's also sort of a testament to his training sessions the murder ball that he puts his players through because they don't they don't look gassed after essentially running their knees off yeah they they look like they've come out yeah the they look like they could play another game that evening yeah it's incredible and they're probably mm, dead yeah, inside because yeah. it's been a week of hard <laughs> training plus a game yeah but it's sort of that you know perception that you get from them just the vibes Vaishnav, you had mentioned that four-three game uh, yeah. between Liverpool and Leeds. I still think that's the game of the season for me personally. Oof. It was such an entertaining game. Ah uh, shit, I, man! I I I don't want to disagree with that, but I just want to put in either the nine-nil or the six-two, man. <laughs> for me, the most entertaining game has to be my team's game, bro. <laughs> it just has okay. to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it, it it was one of the first games of the season, and we we knew like their oh Leeds is coming, they're going to be amazing with Bale Sapol and all that. I think that was the first game of the season, like the first, very first kickoff, first kickoff. Yeah. yeah. Liverpool had three set piece goals. I remember that's what gave them that four three win. But otherwise, Leeds killed them. Oh, and I, oof. that Harrison scores that uh, goal where he touches it around I don't know if it's Trent or Gomez but he 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 essentially cuts in off the left and just perfectly curls it into the corner and he takes this one touch to set himself up oh, oof yeah. I can still see it till today yeah. and Callum Phillips was just unplayable in that game he was incredible yeah you guys think if Bielsa stays for uh, if Bielsa stays for two more seasons at uh, Leeds they have a shot at Champions League qualifications Uh, bro i think they need to fix that defense man like not the way that they play i don't think that club has the ambitions though amar to directly compete for let's not say champions league europe let's say europe right because conference league as well europe okay i mean they were very close they were very close to europe and i think if they continue like this and reinforce certain positions definitely but it's that philo- it's that philosophy of like you score goals we score more than and that's awesome that's Oh, I mean, we we are seeing Atlanta. Atlanta have the same philosophy, and uh, I mean, Atlanta are, I think, one of the most exciting teams to watch in Europe. I don't know if you guys saw much. Amazing to watch. They are they follow the same philosophy. You score seven, and we'll score eight. That's lovely. But I mean, Port does have a point though, because I mean, the best teams have the best defenses. It's just it, that is just matter of fact. So for me, and especially this season. With Van Dijk, with Harry Maguire, with various other centre backs, we've realised how much one player and Ruben Diaz in the other end of the spectrum. You know, where City's problem last season was they can't defend when they play the high line. They just get in a Rolls Royce and he can do everything for you. Suddenly makes John Stones look like Maldini. I mean, Stones is an incredible defender, but next to Ruben Diaz, and it's also that sort of Vidic, Fernand complementary ability things, right? Where Diaz is very much an old school, you know, hardened centre back, and John Stones is very much—I don't know if he's technically superior, but he does look like one of those, you know, Rio Ferdinand type footballers, right? That was his like strong points when they bought into City, wasn't it? Like the only his only pitfall is like his concentration on the yeah. ball. He he has these certain lapses. Yeah, no, but 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 to to that point which you said about Leeds reaching Europe, um, I think the two games against United kind of 
show us um, what the future could be because that first game they played pure BLS ball and they got thumped because we were technically superior. Yeah, that's how it works in a man-to-man system. If you're playing against the bigger teams, you are going to have to expect a few losses, right? If you go, I mean, blow to blow, obviously the bigger team will come on top more times. So that's why they lost that game pretty convincingly. But um, the second game, uh, which Ole <laughs> came out and said before the match, is there's no way this match is going to end in nil-nil. But they actually came out and played a little bit more pragmatically. They didn't play pure Bielsa ball. They weren't crazy pressing up the pitch. When a manager says this game isn't going to be nil-nil, you you, you can <laughs> bet on the result. You just know what the result is going yeah, to be. Yeah, no, but, but what I was trying to say is that he did show a more pragmatic approach in that game. Mm. And if he does that, if he can mix the style of play which he brings to the table with maybe a more pragmatic approach in the bigger games to get the result, right? If he does that a little bit more often, then I think, yeah, then they can maybe push on to 7th, 8th. But it's also like a fine balance there, right? I mean, Very fine, what, yeah. Pragmaticism, do you lose your sort of pure philosophy of this does this for us, right? It's yeah, very it's difficult. Very, very, right, very difficult. Right. But I think that's what they need to do. I agree. I, I guess, I guess with, uh, if there's a sustained run in the Premier League, I mean, that also means a lot of revenue that's coming in. So, you can expect Leeds to make... Uh, they made some really astute signings, by the way. I think Rodrigo, at the end of... He, he, just, he just exploded so many goals and he had problems, you know, settling into the team and he was he was their record signing. But I think now, the, the season that's coming after this, we're going to see Rodrigo and Bamford as a lethal striking combination. Um, but also, let's talk about teams that... Uh, I mean, we give them a lot of shit. West Ham. Uh, no, Burnley. Burnley. But they have survived again. Like... We give them so much shit throughout the course of our podcast. And I mean... John Dash knows what he's doing, man. And he's partial for a pint, isn't he? So it's, it's just lovely. <laughs> Look at how skeptical Poe is right now. He does not want to give them credit whatsoever. <laughs> no, but then it's true though. Like They know how to grind out a draw or a win. You do not want to give this team any credit. You do not want to give this team any credit at all. Um... Especially with the kind of football they play and the brands of football that we want to see. And I mean, if, especially if they're playing against your team, right? If they're playing against United and you see 10 people at the back yeah, and then a, a lone Chris Wood up front, you're going to get pissed off. But does this, uh, like, does this common answer in uh, football manager press conferences, like the statement where they say, like, we always fancy ourselves like to come to an away ground and spoil the day for the <laughs> team. I think Burnley epitomized that truly. Like, there's no other yeah. team that do it as good as Burnley do. It's like the most professional version of Sunday League football, man. It's like the yeah. elite, elite of elite version of Sunday League football. But you can't. That's why Sean Tange goes for scouting. I'm sure of it. He sends his scouts to Sunday League. It, it, one second. Is this us giving credit to Burnley? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think we can be so double-handed about it. I mean, it's a team like Fulham that was playing such expressive football ended up going down West Brom as well, where they were trying to do all these intricate patterns of play that are genuinely done with, you know, technically superior players and they went down. So, it's a testament to Burnley, dude. If it's not broke, why fix it? And he has the players for the system. I don't expect Chris Wood to be a floating Regista false <laughs> nine. I don't know fucking what else, man. I expect him to do what he does and he's very good at doing what he does. But but so for me, like there's like the, the holy trinity of clubs, okay, who are just there to exist in the Premier League and not do anything else. The holy okay. trinity of shithousery. Of shithousery, okay. It's Burnley, 
is Newcastle and Crystal Palace, and all three of them have survived this year too. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Hey, let's shout out to Roy Hodgson though, man. Fucking seventy-nine years old. Steve Bruce, nah. Steve Bruce, I'm always gonna have a soft spot for him though. Like he's such a soft-spoken person. Like you just want to go hug him. Yeah, <laughs> he really. <is. laughs> I, I doubt he's gonna be very elitist about it. But let's, dude. I can't believe we've gone this far without shouting out West Ham, dude. No, we are first. Aston Villa, dude. We had them as like people who like team that would drop down. Like looking at the way they finished last season, like I definitely thought they'd go down after last season's escapade. Yeah, I think Amar did as well, or someone else did, and. and i said that they got an ollie watkins and that's a great signing little did i know that he was literally the least important piece of the puzzle bro goes to show my fucking footballing analysis brain that 7-2 7-2 against liverpool whoa yeah but there were some negative xg goals that went in that day bro <laughs> like everything was going in for villa man <laughs> like literally everything it's you know when you're playing fifa on semi pro or amateur and you're just trying to you know score a couple goals and not make it weird but you hit o and it just keeps going in and you're like fuck six and it's like 33 minutes uh, that's when you that's when you take the pictures of the tv and send it and go fuck i beat 7 0 and all i want today <laughs> <laughs> Classic question. No, but that game was so weird. I remember one of the goals. Uh, Grealish. I mean, of course, he's incredible. But he turns. I I don't think he turns Van Dyke, but essentially he faces up. He cuts in onto his right boot, and he sort of dinks this like a hard pass, I guess, trying to score. Essentially, comes off the bottom of Van Dyke's boot, off the turf, and loops over the keeper. Right, like right. Yeah, for me, yeah, that was yeah. the quintessential like embodiment of that game. You know, it's like. <laughs> it was an assist more than it was a goal that shot so like is but but then they they do have some incredible players though villa but but they some... they they totally dropped off after grealish got injured they totally totally lost there they did what do you expect what do you expect like he was literally carrying that team yeah. exactly yeah yeah his his body structure is also kind of weird man like he's super lean but have you seen those calf muscles of his like yeah Oh he has a very God. very low center of gravity. The way he, the way he's able to manipulate the. He's a, he just skips past here. Yeah. So Grealish to Spurs next season? No, I mean there are lots of talks. Oh fuck no! It makes sense to be to be very honest. I think it makes sense. I'm gonna. This is a super weird hot take because they're not doing it. But I think Grealish to Liverpool would be an incredible oh, shot. Oh no 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 no! That's that's too much. We already have the uh, Mbappe talks going on. Shut that mouth. <laughs> They won't come, bro. Yeah, I don't no, see no, Mbappe no. coming to a fucking like anywhere but fucking Liverpool, man. You cannot have a midfield with Thiago and Grealish together. You just cannot. I mean, you can. You just don't want to see it. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Fuck off, Amar. What what fairness are we talking about? City field a midfield with Kevin De Bruyne, Fernandinho, and Gundogan in it. Is that fair? Fernandinho, Phil Foden, bro. Phil Foden. What are you talking about? Phil Foden can play anywhere on that pitch. But he and like Grealish play in a sort of similar role and position on the left, starting off from the left, drifting in. Hmm. Mm. Also, we spoke about uh, two people who want to leave. That is Kane and Grealish, and then there's one more Zaha. And I saw this really funny meme where, you know, this this one guy is taking a selfie and he's uploaded a poll. You know, the yes or no poll on Instagram, and he's like, "Who want me?" And it's got an a hundred percent nose. And someone has <laughs> uploaded that and said, "This is Zaha every transfer window." Hey, poor guy, dude. 
I think he's missed his chance, man. Like, yeah, Palace outpriced him when teams actually wanted him, and now like there's no one ready to buy him. He signed a contract. I mean, like he signed a three-year contract that time. Do you think Zaha and Theo Walcott, in terms of their career trajectories, are very similar? There are different, like they are completely different players, though. Like I don't see the Walcott having that kind of technical ability like Zaha does. From career trajectory point of view, um, I think. I don't think Zaha was as talented as Wal as what Walcott was in terms of what expectations of him were. When Walcott burst onto the scene, people were like, "Wow, okay, this guy is incredible." He went to the World Cup at 16 years old, man. Like, I, I and yeah. that was a mistake, though. Like, that's why I don't want to see Bellingham go now. But like Walcott, people forget. Poe is right, though. The Theo Walcott hype was like it was genuine. Like he was the next. His hype was so much. It's. Incomparable to what his achievements are, although people forget that his achievements are actually really good. Like he scored a lot of goals. He has like hundred plus Premier goal, Premier League goals, which not many people do still like to this day. And he's what like twenty eight, twenty nine, even now. And and he had his. I mean, he had to speak with a with a big club with Arsenal and Zaha had to speak with Crystal Palace, and I think that peak is over now. I mean, he, he's fizzling towards the. No, I think he's getting into his peak. In fact, I think he's incredible. Right, he's like twenty seven, dude. He's objectively in his playing peak right now, but I don't think he gets a big move. I don't think that can happen for him now. See, the thing is, like, he's not going to be a star player for a big team. Which is what he wants. He's he doesn't want to go to a big team and be a, a role player, right? And the only big team which can give him a starting role day in day out is probably Spurs. So that I see him. I was just gonna say Spurs. Spurs, yeah. Spurs is the only possibility for him within England. Otherwise, if he wants to really be that main guy, he has to go abroad. Yeah, he's twenty eight now. He can go to a team like that's going up like West Ham, maybe or. A team like Roma for Zaha would be so good. Like under Mourinho, an underdog team. That's not a bad shout at all. He needs that kind of team, you know, like not a top team, but like someone which can he he can be the main guy, someone in that category. And I also think that a lot of these players invariably need a they need a change of circumstance and just like like you said, man. I mean, there's only so much sideways. Yeah, there's only so much you can move sideways within the Premier League. Might as well move outside and figure out what. I mean, Smalling, Young, different times in the career, agreed. But I mean, it 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 doesn't do anything bad. Trippier, yeah, Trippier. Trippier is a good example. Unless you're like, unless you're a player like Bale who just can't speak outside for shit. Like he just wants to stay in the English subcontinent. Bale also has. Uh, I just saw a BR football post on Twitter. Eleven goals and five assists. No, he's scored more than Cavani this season. Yeah, he's got the best minutes per goal ratio in the league, eighty-three point nine minutes per goal. But they're very inconsequential goals, man. Yeah, like as in no, but then they haven't come as a consistent run of games. Like, exactly. He's barely played. Like that's because he's not been he's not been featuring he's not been featuring in those string of games and. Yeah, isn't that kind of a consequence of him not? Showing Mourinho that he's capable of doing it. True, but I mean, there's also two. I mean, you have to improve the, ma- impress the manager, but the manager also just has to pick you, right? I mean, you could be impressing him week in week out, and he could just not pick you. Dude, come on! Like, I bet Bale came to Spurs to use the use that gym facilities for a year and then fuck off back to wherever <laughs> he's going. Yeah. Anyway, guys, let's 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 uh, start wrapping this up uh, very quickly, guys. Your goal of the season in the Premier League. Yeah, hey, wait, wait, wait! Before we finish, why don't you give a shout? Like, why don't you give a shout out to like these loan signings who went and changed fortunes for clubs that they did, like Jay Lings and Villock. 
I was going to say that best, like best and worst sort of signings this season. We can go through like five minutes. Kavani, Kavani. No, no, five minutes not required. Five seconds, Kavani. I, done. Next <laughs> signing of the season for Akshat is Kavani. Yeah, I mean it's obviously Diaz. I don't think any of us can say it's not Diaz. Yeah, let's not say Diaz. Let's not say Diaz. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Signing of the season. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I'd have to go for one of these guys only, Cavani or Diaz. But then I don't want to give credit to United for Cavani, though. Okay, but like, why I steered the conversation to this side was kind of to shout out people like like Lingard and Villa. But you can't call them signings of the season. Lingard's a good shout. I think Lingard's a good shout. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say Lingard. I was going to say Lingard. But then, like, this was halfway through the season. Willock as well is a good shout because he's the first player since Alan Shearer to score like seven in seven games in a row for Newcastle. He's among an elite list of players who've done that, like though, like seven games in a row. Like not many people have done that either. But yeah, he's the youngest player to do that though. Like he's still the youngest player to do it. But you can't call them signings of the season though because why can't you? I would I would say Lingard is the signing of the season. I wouldn't at least. I'd give it to Jota, but I'd give it to Jota, but. Uh, uh, I I definitely think he's a perfect fit for Liverpool, man. Like, if not for the injuries, he'd have been flying for them. I agree. That's very true, actually. So, wait, Poe, who's who's your signing of the season? Finally, uh, Jota. I go with Jota, but then he's not done much to like prove that. But I still think he's a perfect fit for this, like, for that team. The main reason why I said Jota was like because he fits that team also, and before he did move there. Like there were talks about Werner moving to Liverpool, and then everyone was like, "Why the fuck did you go for Werner and go for Jota and pay like forty million for him?" But I think he's like proved them wrong, though. Exactly, and it sort of profile fits, and we saw it. Proof is in the pudding. He did incredibly well for whatever games he played. It was the fit that you're saying it was. Yeah, definitely. For me, my signing of the season is Wesley Fofana, though at Leicester. Might not have lit the Premier League up, but for me, next five years. Top two, top three centre backs in the world, and I also want to say this is. I think I brought this up in a pod once before. Ezri Konza and uh, Wesley Fofana have the weirdest trade. The weirdest trade. They have the least amount of tackles that they make when you compare it to the same sample size for centre backs, which means that they're very passive defenders. It also means that. No, no. I just wanted to say that if you're so hyped about Fofana, wait for his. Uh... Center back partner from Saint Etienne to come to the Premier League. Saliba, well, yeah, for me is Wesley Fofana because of uh, because of a couple of reasons. One is I I think they finally found a long term center back pairing with Soyuncu because I don't Evans is incredible to have, but I don't think he has a longevity to be there over the next three four years. Fofana's retired. Uh, Fofana, no, Wes Morgan is also retired now. So getting Fofana in for the cheap cut price that they got in. And boy, you're right because Saliba was the in the Fofana Saliba partnership. Saliba was looked at the as the you know uh, is like Konate and Upa Makano, where Upa was the centre back and Konate was alongside him. Even though he was very good with Fofana and Saliba, I think it's they're very different players. And for me, Fofana impresses me because of how mature he is. I don't know if this makes sense, but he doesn't dive in. He's a very reactive defender, which means he's very good with his angles and he understands what he's doing off the ball as well as his defenders around him. And I think they're going to make a lot of money selling him on a lot of money. So for me, he's been one of the best signings of the season and centre backs of the season. He's been incredible. Also, wears his stockings low, so he's in the Grealish club. 
didn't uh, didn't Leicester already make a pre uh, pre window signing? Oh yeah, Samare. Bumkar is Samare. Dude, like that was like a crazy deal, man. Like some fifteen to twenty mil. That's insane, insane, insane. Does this mean NDD is moving though soon? I think so. Yeah. Amar has to give a shout out. Oh, mine is my mine is mine is Messi, uh, Messi Lingard, and Lionel Jesse. There's, there's no two ways about it. Mr. Band of Brothers. Arsenal signed a kid, like ten year old kid called Lionel Messi. Like 10 years down the line, like watch him kill, man. Like watch yeah. him kill. Yeah. <laughs> might might as well try, you know. Might as well try. I think it's worth a shout. I don't know where this podcast is going now, guys. <laughs> no, no. Wait. Before we end, I want to get your manager of the season again. We can rule out Pep, like we rule out Diaz, because I think obviously it should be Pep. Um, but yeah, who's your manager of the season? Goal of the season as well. After this, guys, quickly, okay, quickly. No more reasons, nothing. Bielsa. Bielsa. Okay. Uh, who's next? Moise. Moise. Uh, I'm going to say Graham Potter. Amar, your turn. Ole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Goal of the season. My mine's Lamella. Lamella's Rabona against uh, Arsenal. Whoa! Oh my god! Fire! Fire! What a goal! That is the goal where you press L2 by mistake while shooting, so he does some random trick. <laughs> that is that goal, bro. <laughs> For me, it's. Uh... I don't know if this was a was this a Premier League game or was this a cup game? But when when Bruno when Bruno did the Cantona goal, where he kind of Everton that was that was Premier League yeah. two all two all Premier League game. That's my goal of the season for sure. Yeah, go ahead. Mine was about to be that Bruno Cantona goal thing, but then now you go. Mine was about to be that too, but obviously I keep the Cavani chip in reserve, right? Because oh, that's what shit, you have dude. to do. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. That was a good goal too. Controversial though. Controversial. I thought that was off. Uh, you can't. You can't take that goal away from. Okay. Nothing's coming to my mind, man. You guys are putting me on the spot here. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal didn't score that many good goals though. Wait. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to bring this up, but was it this season where Arsenal's goal of the month was a penalty because that's the only goal they scored? That was this season at the start. I think it was. I think this was in uh, August or September, bro. Like this was when, dude, we were bad thirsty, bro. Like we didn't have any goal to show that like string of five or six games. Okay, but but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, bro, nothing. You guys legit put me on the spot. I think you would have liked Regulon's own goal, right? Oh no, no, that was beautiful. But uh, wait. the issue is all the goals I can think of are United goals, bro. But they're all pretty good. <laughs> That Bruno free kick against Liverpool, man. Oof. That was the cup, but yeah, we said all competitions are not for cup. Oh, that uh, Lingard solo goal was mad. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, mad. Finally remembered one. Yes. Bro, Lanzini's goal. Lanzini's goal. Three all. Oh, that was also. That mad. was a very nice goal. That was a great. I don't remember that one. That was the um, remember Amar stat the uh, Bale and Lanzina coming coming out and scoring and the odds for it. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh oh wait but but actually you know what a good shout is. I mean if there was any Liverpool fan in the podcast they'd say Allison's header and I I'd find it very hard to disagree. Oh yeah what a goal! That was a mad goal, bro. Like especially the timing. Like that was such an important goal. It wasn't like world class, you know, like a worldy chip or something. It was just. But what a header! What a header! 
what a ball dude fuck the header what a ball what a corner but let's let's just for a, that, that was that was a goalkeeper doing that he didn't alison didn't like shit house the ball in you know it didn't like hit his face come off someone's boot and go in nah it was a beautiful leap it was a beautiful header yeah it was a striker's finish man it was fucking beautiful man. it was like some like fucking prime andy carroll or someone just you know came out of that pitch and took that header uh yeah so I, that brings us to the end of our episode uh, next week we're going to have our season finale so tune into that that's going to be awesome uh and uh, we will come back after that for sure but it's the end of season 1 next week um guys thank you for getting to the end of the podcast do let us know what you thought of this one and uh, do the usual like share and hit the follow button bye bye <laughs>